Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, take your Bibles, go to 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to wrap up chapter 1 this morning, and then um, next week we will cover the first a uh, couple of verses of chapter two, which kind of go hand in hand. In fact, a lot of a lot of the commentaries that I that I looked at and read kind of lumped uh, chapter two verses one and two in with this one. Um, I, I decided to uh, I decided to split those into two messages for, just for for a couple of different reasons um, because it'll. This morning we're going to primarily talk about uh, sin. That, that's where that's where this one's going. Um, so if if you if you've read and are familiar at all with this passage with with first john chapter one uh, we're going to hit sin pretty hard this morning and and uh, it's not it's not all bad right we are going we're going to talk about the bad news uh but before we get into the good news and then next week uh we're going to talk really about how we how we respond when we do sin we'll, we'll cover a little bit of that at the end but that, that'll be the bulk of next week's message is how do we respond when when we as believers people who uh who oftentimes feel like we should know better and and feel like um you know if we're in christ why am i still struggling with with the stuff that i'm struggling with we'll we'll get there next week this morning we're going to talk about uh how we respond when when we encounter sin in our lives um and and what we what we do when 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 we see it there uh so that's where we're going uh so if you will stand with me we've put the the verses on the screen let's read uh first john chapter one verses five through 10 uh, together. This is what it says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he is itself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we are confronted this morning with sin in our own lives, I pray that just as, as that, um, that moment of conviction that we feel stings, will you remind us that, that your grace is enough, your grace is sufficient. We don't have to worry about the way you think about us. We don't have to worry about the way you respond to us when we confess our sins to you, even as believers. So this morning, as we're we're confronted with that sting of conviction about sin in our own lives, will you follow it with the soothing grace of your mercy? Open our eyes and our ears to your word this morning. We ask all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You have a seat. Thank you. 
So, so as I said, we're going we're gonna to dive in and we're going we're gonna to talk about sin this morning, right? Which is, it's a three-letter word that's almost become a four-letter word in, in the church today, right? So, you know, just don't, in fact, there are churches that are built around the idea or around this method of we're not really going to call out sin uh, because sin makes people feel bad. So when, when people come in to worship with us, we just, we want them to feel good. And so uh, we, what we have are churches with, with sermons not based necessarily on the Bible and the gospel, but that are really based uh, on a sort of modified motivational speech. So you come in and it'll be, um, uh, you know, 10 ways to, to maximize your marriage. Right. Five, or even even good things for us. Right. So, so talking about marriage is a good thing or, you know, five ways to dump debt. But they're 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 speeches. They're they're motivational talks. They're not sermons. And, and it's certainly not the gospel. And as I said, if we're, if we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, we need to understand the bad news. Because until we understand the the depth and the depravity of sin in our world and sin in our lives, we, we will not understand the glory and the goodness of the gospel in Christ. All right, so, and, and this is where, this is why uh, John here begins talking about the character of God. So look at me at verse 5. He says this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him, and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Okay, so, so the first thing he's going to say is that we need to understand the nature of God. And the way that he puts that first thing here is that God is light. God is light. Now, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we, when we walked through the introduction to 1 John. That most people in, in our world, if they have any kind of church background or whatever, if you ask them, what is God like, you're going to hear, well, God is love. And we'll get there because John says that uh, in, in 1 John chapter 4. He talks about God's love. And it's not that we don't want to emphasize God's love because God is absolutely love, but there is another quality of his character that oftentimes gets left out. And that is this, God is light. So from an intellectual standpoint, then, what, what John is saying is that, uh, that God is truth. Okay, so, so if he's going to use this, this idea of light and darkness, which he does a lot in both his gospel and in his letters, light is going to stand for truth, darkness is going to stand for error. Or if we look at it from a morality standpoint, uh, light is going to stand for all that is pure and all that is godly. And darkness is going to stand for that which is evil and wicked. That's why he says here, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. In fact, the way that the Greek originally reads here, it says there is no, there is, uh, no darkness in him, none. Which in English, we look at that and we say, well, that's a double negative. That's bad English, but it's good Greek because it's emphasizing uh, to the nth degree how uh, absent of darkness God is. He is completely light. So he is all that is true and he is all that is pure and there is no error or evil in him at all. None. Okay? So, so that's where he goes here. And, and then he says this. So, so if you look at the very first phrase of verse 5, he says, this is the message we have heard from him. So he's been talking about Christ Jesus in the first four verses, and now he says, this is what we heard from Christ. This is what we received. We're not making this up. This is the same 
Uh, this is the same argument that Paul is going to make in Galatians chapter 1, where he's talking about this gospel he received. And he says, I, I didn't receive it from a human, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's kind of in this, in this unique spot where he wasn't an apostle with Christ, and yet Christ appeared to him personally on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, revealed himself to it, revealed Christ, Christ revealed himself to Paul, and, and Paul understood the gospel, and then he goes out, Proclaiming, So John says, listen, we're not just making this up as we go along. We receive this message from Christ, and we're now passing it on to you. As I said, this is the same thing that, that John's going to declare in the beginning of his gospel. So, so in verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1, he says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. So this light, all that is true and all that is pure, shined in an evil and uh, an error-filled world. And the darkness couldn't understand it or couldn't overcome it. And as we know, when a dark room, uh, when you turn a little bit of light on in a dark room, darkness flees quickly. And so, uh, so John's really going to make three assertions about the character of God in, in, his, in this letter. Uh, first, as, as we just saw here in verse 5, that God is, uh, God is light. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about God is love, which we talked about a while ago. And then uh, at the very end of the letter, in chapter 5, verse 20, he's going to say that God is true. Okay, so these are the three assertions about the character of God that John makes. God is light, meaning he is, he's completely true, he's completely uh, pure. God is love, and we'll talk about that when we get there. And then, just to emphasize again that there's no error in him, God is true at the end, okay? He's completely true, completely righteous. There's not one iota of wrong or uh, moral uh, corruptness in him. This is why Peter can quote Leviticus in, in 1 Peter 1.16, where he says, For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, this is, this is quoted three times throughout the book of Leviticus. I'm sure you have that book memorized, so I didn't have to tell you that, right? You knew exactly where it was in Leviticus. No, three times in Leviticus. As, as God is laying out the Old Testament law and the, the sacrificial system to the Israelites, he says this three times, Be holy, for I am holy. And you, you might be, uh, you might have picked up by now if you've lived long enough that, that we don't live up to this command very well, right? Just be holy. You just be as, as pure and as perfect as God is, and you'll be fine. That's all you got to do. That's it. Yeah, we're not very good at that, are we? So, so we're, we're confronted then with our own sin, and, and anytime we're confronted with sin, we need to understand the nature of what sin does in your life and in my life. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. We have to understand the nature of sin. Now remember, John is writing to believers. He's writing to a church. So these are followers of Christ. These are people who've been moved from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. These are believers, and yet some of whom are walking in sin. 
And, and John is going to, to tell them and tell us what happens when we claim to be followers of Christ and yet live lifestyles that don't match up with what we say we believe. And the first thing is simply this. When, when we walk in sin as believers, we lie to others. We lie to other people. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says this, If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Now, the way he's going to go throughout this passage, he's going he's to state a negative and then turn it around in a positive sense. So he's going to say, if we, walk, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we walk in error, we walk in uh, things that are evil and wicked, we are lying and we're not practicing the truth. So we've talked about these two, uh, these two kind of groups of false teachers. And apparently uh, one sect of those who said that, uh, that, that everything physical is evil and the only thing in you that's any good whatsoever is your spirit kind of took that to its, to, to its end. And therefore, they said, well, since my body's already evil, it doesn't really matter what I do in the body because it's already evil anyway. The only thing that's good is my spirit. So I can live in the flesh any way I want because it's already evil. And, and that's not going to corrupt my spirit at all. So you can imagine what kinds of things uh, they were getting themselves into. They would say that these acts of sin ultimately have no effect on my relationship with God. So why, why does he say that we would be lying to others here? Well, because we're saying something about our relationship with God. Right? We, as believers, we have folks watching us. And, and what we would see if, if for a believer who, who has no problem, uh, or who, who would claim to have no problem walking in sin... That he would say, now, now, hold on, what are you telling these people about who God is? What are you telling them about your, your life? Oh, man, no, my, my sin doesn't affect that at all. It's fine. You can, listen, you can become a follower of Christ and keep on doing all the same stuff that you're doing now. You just walk around with your get-out-of-hell-free card, right? So you got secure at the end, and it doesn't matter. Ooh. Oh, friends, that's a dangerous place to be. And so in verse 7, then, he's going to tell us the way we ought to. To live. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Because here's the reality. No one sins in your own little bubble. N nobody. Our sin always affects other people. It's going, to affect the, the, it's going to affect both relationships that we've talked about. It's going to affect our relationship with God. It's going to affect our relationship with other people. And if we claim that we can, that we can walk in sin and, and yet all of those things are fine, we are lying to other people about what's really going on in, in our heart. But here's the second thing. So we're not just lying to, to other people. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So, so um, Paul's going to say, no, listen, it matters the, the way that you live as a follower of Christ, okay? Because of who we now are. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You were once darkness. 
You're not that anymore. So don't try to live that way anymore. Live as children of light. Because here's what happens, folks, when, when you come to faith in Christ Jesus. The, the gospel is very clear that, that Christ wipes away all our sins. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That means all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven in that moment. So why on earth would we try to live like that old person who the Bible says no longer exists? I, I, this is not in your notes, but you might jot it down if you're not already familiar with it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So he said that old person actually doesn't even live anymore. That old person is dead. So why on earth would we want to live like that dead person? But, that, but that's not all. We don't just lie to others. John's going to go on and say we actually lie to ourselves as well. Look with me at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. One of, one of the things that uh, um, my favorite preacher, my f- favorite living preacher, a guy by the name of Matt Chandler says a lot. He says, no one has lied to you more than you have. No one has deceived you more than you have. Okay? But because here's what we do, okay? So, so we don't really like being told that we're wrong, right? If it's, even if it's someone else, or even when we're reading the Bible and we're kind of confronted with this, uh, you know, don't, don't live this way. Don't live in sexual immorality. And, 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 and we are, and we don't like it. So, so we have a, uh, really a almost circus-like ability to justify our behavior in our own minds, right? Well, I know the Bible says this. But here's why I'm the lone individual in the past 2,000 years for whom that does not apply. I was listening with a pastor the other day, and he said he, uh, he had a church member who, uh, who kept telling him, this was in Hobbes, and, and he said, um, he said this, this church member's told him, you know, I'm, I'm not tithing, but here's what I'm doing, pastor. I'm spending my tithe money at the casino, and when I hit it big, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make up for all that. Now, now, now listen, here's the danger, okay? We laugh at that because it's ridiculous, but, but here's, here's, the, here's the danger. If we're not careful, we can justify almost anything. Well, you know, our culture's changed, right? So, so, so maybe sexual immorality, you know, when, when, when Paul wrote it and he meant all sex outside of marriage, well, well, sure, maybe that applied then, but come on, this is 2017. You mean that, that doesn't really apply now, Right? Surely those same standards don't apply. And yet the Bible says the word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4.12. So so here's the thing, right? Unless we are willing to admit our sins, we can't understand our need for a Savior. And as long as you and I are justifying whatever behavior the Bible says don't do, that we keep on doing, and we want to whitewash that, we... We cannot understand the mercy of God. Until we understand the depravity of the sin nature in us, we cannot understand the grace of God to us on a daily basis. So so look, if you're constantly trying to justify actions which contradict Scripture, John would caution us, and he would just say, look, do a heart check, right? Because he says, "If if we say we have not sinned, 
We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then verse 9, he tells us what our lives should be marked by. And it's not perfection. So, so let me say that really clearly. It's not perfection. You will never reach a point in your life on this earth where sin is not an issue. Now, now if there are debilitating addictions in our lives, we can reach a point where, where we no longer struggle with those the same way we did. But, but what I've learned in my own life is as soon as I take care of one sin, it pops up, sin rears its head in some other area. You will never get beyond sin in this life. So then how, so if our lives aren't marked by perfection, what are they marked with? We see that in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession marks the life of a believer. Not perfection. Not legalism. Not, well, man, if I, could, if I can just be a little bit better... Because again, is that not lying to yourself? Man, I, it, with, all I need to do is just be better at doing these things that I've said I'm not going to do, but I keep doing them. So if I can just, if I can just be stronger, then, then I won't struggle with these things anymore. And listen, again, that's lying to yourself. And your, your life as a follower of Christ will be a constant uphill struggle until you understand that the thing that marks us as believers is confession. I just give it up because we have a great promise here. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, when we confess our sins to us, he's not going to be standing there with a hand on his hip and a finger wet waving in our face. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I could convince you of one thing this morning, it's, it's this. It's that God is not disappointed in you. God is not waiting for you to come back home so he can lecture you about what you haven't been doing. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, the, the son who ran away from his father, demanded his share of the inheritance, basically telling his father, listen, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. I just want your stuff. And ran off and squandered it in reckless living. Finds himself as a young Jewish boy feeding pigs and wishing that he could eat the slop that they're eating. For a Jewish boy, that doesn't get any worse than, than in, that, in that setting. Dealing with the unclean animals, making yourself unclean. At one point it says he comes to his senses and he says, listen, my, my father's servants live better than this. I'll go back and I'll just beg him to be a servant of his. That if he'll just welcome me back, I, I don't need to be a son. I, I, don't even, I don't even need to be anywhere near his house. I just, I'll just go back and serve him so that at least I can have a roof over my head and, and food on the table. And Luke 15 tells us that the father sees him from a long way off and runs to him. Something that... that Grown men in that day did not do, particularly not for a son who had disgraced the family. And yet this father doesn't care about the social customs. He doesn't care about what's proper. He runs to his son and welcomes him back with open arms. That's the picture of how God receives us when we turn around and stop running.
confess. What, what John's saying here, to confess is simply to agree with God. Yeah, you're right. The, the, what, what I'm doing is not right. We talk a lot about confession when it comes to the moment of salvation, right? Admit your, your sins. Believe that, that God sent Jesus Christ to pay for your, uh, your sins on the cross. And then confess him. Confess him before people. What, what it means here is simply that, that we agree with God. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. And we trust by faith the promise that he gives us here that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Old Testament tells us a couple of things about what happens when we try to hide our sins. Proverbs 28, 13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. And then the psalmist writes this, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. And I love this because this rings so true. When I kept silent, in other words, when I knew there was sin in my life, but I didn't do anything about it, he says this, My bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not conceal, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You notice there, you say, I mean, there's, there's a war going on there, right? He says, when I'm, when I'm trying to hold it in, my bones are brittle and I can feel the condemnation. But when I gave it up, that, that, that was all gone. You forgave the guilt of my sin. So listen, we have a promise here. When we do what God's commanded us to do, confess our sins, don't hold on to them, but, but confess them, he will do what he has promised. Remind us of the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that we have in him. Here's the last thing we do when we walk in sin. We lie about God. So we lie to others about our relationship with God. We lie to ourselves. Oh, you know, it's really not that bad. I'm, I'm okay. But we lie about who God is. Because essentially for a follower of Christ to live in sin. Now, now here's, here's the word. It's not, it's not the idea that we're going to sin here and there. But this is to, the idea is to dwell in sin. To walk in sin. To have a life, a life that's marked by a pattern of sin and refusing to call sin, sin in our lives. Refusing to, uh, to acknowledge that there's some stuff in us that needs to be taken care of. Essentially what we are saying about God is this. Well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't care enough to live the way Christ has called me to live. And I'm okay with that. And God's okay with that. So we need to understand what God has said about sin. Psalm 51.5, this is David's prayer of repentance after his episode with Bathsheba. He says this, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Isaiah 53, talking about this suffering servant who would come in our place. He says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. J. 
Jeremiah 17, 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. In Psalm 14, 3, which Paul will later quote in Romans 3, 10, says, All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is what God has said about sin. You notice the the repetition of the word all there, the word of everyone. Those are really complex Greek words. You know what those mean? All and everyone. There is not an asterisk there with your name in the footnotes, except for... That doesn't apply to Kyle Beerman. No, 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 that means all of us. So as we wrap up here, what, what conclusion can we make? Well, well, the first conclusion that we can make is simply this. Our sin is great. Our sin is great. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Your sin and my sin was costly to God. And we mock Christ's sacrifice on our behalf when we treat sin in our lives like it was no big deal. But but hear this. Yes, your sin is great. My sin is great. But our Savior is greater. Paul writes these words in Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that he doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up before he'll take us. I've said this before. That would be like going to a hospital and then saying, I'm sorry, we don't treat sick people here. You have to go home and get well and then you can come back and and then we'll we'll talk about what treatment we can give you. But, But we only treat those who've got it all together. Aren't you glad that Christ doesn't treat us that way? And if he doesn't treat people like that, listen to me, believers, don't don't you dare treat anybody like that. The the church is a hospital for sinners. John 3, 16 says this, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his... One and only Son, so that whoever, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to ask just a just a couple of questions for us. First of all, is is just simply for you to look inside your own heart and ask: Is is there a noticeable pattern of sin in your life? Not not do you sin sometimes? Not do you commit sins? But rather. How do you respond when you do sin? Do you confess or do you conceal? Do you agree with God or do you argue with him about sin? Secondly, when when others look at your life, what do they see? Do they see someone trying to follow after Christ the, the best way that they can in God's grace? Or do they see somebody who's, who would claim to be a follower of Christ, but who's constantly justifying something in our lives? 
Well, I know the Bible says, but, but this is why this is okay in my situation. Final question is this. What's keeping you from turning from sin in your life and trusting in Christ? Either for the first time, which is what leads us from death to life in Christ, when we turn from sin and trust in Christ for the, for the very first time. Or as in and if that's you this morning, if you would say there's never been a time in my life where I've prayed and asked God to forgive my sins and to be my Savior, I would love to visit with you in just a couple of moments and tell you how you can come to know him. That's what leads us to salvation to begin with. But in the life of a believer, this is what we call this, this process of sanctification, of being made more and more into the image of Christ. As we recognize there's still some sin in our life, that old man is, even though the Bible says he's dead, he still fights. As we continually turn from sin and trust in Christ day in and day out, week after week, year after year, moment after moment. What are you holding on to? What's keeping you from giving it up? So that you might look more like Christ Jesus when you walk out of here than when you walked in. Let's pray. Father, we, we know sin is not, a, it's not an easy word to hear. In fact, in, in our culture, we know oftentimes we, we've been trained to bristle anytime we hear it. And yet, your, your word here this morning is so clear to us. That as believers of Christ, we're to walk in the light. We're not supposed to walk in the darkness. We're, our lives should look different from the world. Our lives should look different than they did before we came to faith in Christ. God, I pray that in your fierce mercy and grace, you would not let us get away with patterns of sin in our lives. God, that you would bring them to our attention, and when you do, we would confess. That we would turn from sin, and we would trust in you. And, and, and when we do, when we confess, your, your mercy and your grace would wash over us. We wouldn't feel con condemned. God, may we be people whose, whose lives are not marked by a striving to keep the rules and a, and a striving for perfection, but as people who are marked by confession and understanding your great grace in our lives that covers every sin. Will you give us assurance this morning that our identity is secured in you as followers of Christ? That there's no going back once, once we've been brought from death to life. We, we, there's no turning back. We are secure in your kingdom. Help our lives to look like we're children of light, not people of darkness. Move in these moments. Convict us of sin. May this room be filled with confession and repentance as you shape us and mold us and knock off rough edges to make us look more and more like Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that allows us to be here with confidence this morning and with assurance knowing that you are at work in us. 
and having faith that you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.